hello everyone and welcome to the Power From Port podcast. I'm your host Jamie and tonight I will be reviewing Port Adelaide's Clash versus Carlton in round 22 of season 2021. So the final score on the night was Port Adelaide kicking 21 goals, 14, 140, defeating Carlton, 5 goals, 15, 45. The leading goal kickers on the night were Charlie Dixon with four straight, Orazio Fantasia with three straight, and then Bergman, Marshall, Gray, Georgiatis with two to go along with six single goal kickers. The major ball winners were Travis Boak with 31 disposals, 15 contested possessions, 13 kicks, 18 handballs. Ollie Wines with 31 as well, 17 contested, 13 kicks and 18 handballs as well. Carl Amon, 30 disposals, 7 contested, 21 kicks, 9 handballs. And Darcy Byrne-Jones with the 27 disposals, 7 which were contested, 16 kicks and 11 handballs. So my initial thoughts post-match, well, I was in a bit of a state of delirium. I don't know how you really couldn't be after witnessing a performance like that. Uh... One that we haven't been familiar with this year, but 19 goals on the trot, which I found out today is the third biggest goal streak since the year 2000. And even more amazingly enough, it was still unbeaten at the final siren. Uh, A a fantastic day for footy. The sun was shining. It was a perfect temperature. Not a cloud in the sky. I even got a bit sun-kissed in the cheeks. It was that good. And... I uh, had to work during the day and um, ended up having to catch an Uber to the game. I missed the first bounce, to be honest, but luckily enough, I only work in Torrensville, so finishing at four, got out a little bit early and then, yeah, got there as quick as I can. I definitely indulged in a couple of light refreshments once I got settled in at Adelaide Oval. It was just what everyone would really say. It's a day for it, of course, so... I felt it was a real team effort. I don't think we had too many passengers, if any, actually. There were no passengers. And it's the first time that I felt we've actually put the foot to the throat and had a real foot-to-the-throat mentality. We smelt blood in the water and we went for it. A lot of the times this season, we have built leads and then kind of protected them. I feel this is for two reasons. Uh, one of them being that traditionally, uh, in my opinion, Port Adelaide started well and tapered off during a season. So started really well uh, at the beginning of the year and then come the end of the year, we're a little bit exhausted and we've tried a bit too hard. Obviously, with the China years being in there, there is that kind of element of doubt whether that influenced or not. But this season, I feel that We've had that marathon mentality uh, all throughout and we haven't wanted to utilise any excess energy in games that we have won and won by good enough margins that it's going to pad our percentage enough and keep us protected from other teams. But secondly, we've had a lot of injuries. As everyone knows, 15 in-season surgeries. So for those players playing in those games where we've built leads and protected them, we're we're looking after potentially our 25th, 26th, 27th plus players on the list so that when everyone comes back, half the team isn't exhausted and half the team isn't underdone. I feel that we've really managed it well. And yeah, we've been, we've been tested at times. We've had to, we've taken our foot off and had to respond and build that back, a lead back up to create that buffer again. Uh, But for the most part, managing it and, 
Again, like on Saturday, we didn't have everything go our own way. Carlton really brought the pressure to begin with. Uh, I said in my preview on Friday night that you see these games a lot in football seasons where it's come to the end of the year, a team hasn't done as well as they should have, could have, or would have, their coach is under pressure, they've been pilloried in the media leading up to the game. Uh, they also had Mark Murphy's 300th game, who has had a fantastic career for Carlton. And then they throw the kitchen sink at whatever team they come out. And it's generally against a good team, these scenarios that generally happen at the end of seasons. They'll come up against a good team and throw the kitchen sink at them in the beginning. And yeah, I mentioned that Carlton would have to bring the same sort of pressure that Adelaide did to us in the showdown. And for them to be any chance of winning, sustain it across the four quarters. Now, they brought it for a quarter and a half. As Fox Footy shows on their telecast, the pressure gauge showed them up in the 200 plus mark. Whereas we're, in, excuse me, we're in the 150 pressure gauge mark. So we definitely started the game kind of in second gear and, and Carlton, to their credit, they came to play. But to go along with that, I've kind of came to a, a bit of a realisation recently where as Port Adelaide fans, we... I guess we're generently not used to our team being a pace setter for more than one year in a row. I've mentioned a couple of times on the pod that, yeah, we've had our good years in 14 and, and last year, uh, but particularly 14 that stands out in my mind and then it kind of felt like a flash in the pan. But we're now, we've now competed at a top four level for consecutive years and we're a league pace setter in that regard. So that is where every team where they come up against you, they're going to give you their best, whether it be Carlton, whether it be another top four contender, whether it be Adelaide Crows or North Melbourne, they're going to throw the kitchen sink at you to try and give themselves the best chance of winning. They're going to try and bring you down to their level to give themselves the best chance of winning. A game that sticks out in my memory is uh, Sydney versus Richmond last season. And albeit it was a fairly defensive season due to the shortened quarters, they, I remember this game vividly where they weren't going that well, obviously, last year, and Richmond were, but they just restricted the hell out of Richmond, not allowing them to score, and nearly got over the line doing such. And it might be a system that we see going forward. If we're going to be a top-four standard team in the future, like we plan to be with Chasing Greatness, I feel these performances are coming up. And I even remember back in the day when we were a fairly average team and there would be games where we come up against good opposition and would throw everything we had at, at them, whether it be a Geelong of that era, the Hawthorns. Um, and obviously we're, we're, we weren't good enough. So we could only sustain it for a quarter and a bit or a half or whatever, or come back late, you know? So Carlton definitely came to play and we had to answer swiftly, which we did. Uh, thankfully enough, and it was all all rosy from there. So let's get into the line breakdown and starting with defence, as I usually do. They definitely had to absorb a lot of pressure early in the match. As I said, Carlton came to play. They kept getting repeat entries, and we were a bit sloppy in the midfield. We were a, a bit unaccountable. A bit unaccountable is an um, understatement. We definitely started in second gear, and Carlton 
to their credit, they were giving themselves the best chance to score. Fortunately enough for us, they only kicked two goals six. I believe there was some rush behinds, but they could have been further ahead of that quarter time mark and put us under even more pressure, much like Adelaide did in the showdown last week. And on the showdown, we Mark Rusciuto said in the telecast that about the showdown letdown is the phrase that he used. And we it is something that we are familiar with, obviously having the showdown one week and then having to back it up the next week we've found typically hard. I thought we'd shaken that um, that label or that scenario, but I had a look back at the last couple of years or the last few years of showdowns and the week after results, and yeah, even still, it's still a, a bit of a bugbear. Uh, thankfully uh, enough, it didn't happen uh, on Saturday. And, yeah, our, our defence absorbed Carlton's pressure for the first quarter and a half really well. To go on top of that, when we are getting it in the back line, it really helps that our unit is so settled at the moment and using the ball really efficiently coming out of the back line. So when you've got our captain, Tom Jonas, at 100% disposal efficiency, and then you've got Alir and Riley Bonner above 80 Cleary, DBJ, and Houston all going at above 70%. With Burton being the only outlier at 57% disposal efficiency, it's really heartening when it does go back there. And, and we, we've trusted our defence line for years now. It's been our one consistently performing line. However, I've reviewed a couple of games recently, and they've been the worst of the lines. Worst being a fairly harsh word, but... Um, probably being the lower of the three lines in comparison to the other two. and But they've got their mojo. It hasn't really gone anywhere. And albeit they didn't have a lot of work to do uh, after the halfway point of the second quarter, but they were under a lot of pressure. And it, they still used the ball to best effect. It was the midfield ahead of the ball, in my opinion, that kind of let them down and required them to uh, absorb all that pressure. Uh, so my best defender on the night was Alir Alir. Uh, he's having a great couple of weeks run. He's really uh, just leveled up again. I, I felt he had a couple of quieter weeks when we were playing at Marvel. Whether that was a role change due to matchups or uh, just the fact that we had Trent McKenzie, maybe I believe personally that. Cleary straightens us up down back a little bit as he's allow, uh, he can take a tool, to, tool forward sorry, and allows Alir Alir to just roam and pinch hit and get that knuckle in or take that contested mark. But on top of that, I feel Alir Alir is getting a bit of aggression. He's really confident in his ability now. We're 22 rounds in and he's activated beast mode. He's really aggressive at the opponent one-on-one -on -one and with his defensive movement sagging off or coming across to help his teammates. So he had the 19 disposals, nine of which were contested, 14 kicks, five handballs, eight marks, 14 intercept possessions, four tackles, and five rebound 50. So a great all-round Alia game and putting his name up there for recruit of the season. If he didn't have those quieter weeks, he'd probably be an All-Australian lock. He may make the squad of 40, but um, I'm not sure if he'll make the final 22. I've made my feelings known on the All-Australian team, how I believe there should be a first team and a, a reserves team or a, a second string team as 
the American sports generally do, but that's another topic altogether. Really impressed with O'Leary. Lear. He probably could have... Uh, uh, sorry, he was the MVP for the fans for this round. Personally, I felt that his job was really easy after that halfway point of the second quarter. So um, I probably didn't have him in my best players, although he had a fantastic game. I've got nothing to complain about Alir Alir. Uh He's a, a unit, <laughs> simple as that. My honourable mention goes, it has to go to Darcy Byrne-Jones. What a game. Like I said at the top, 27 disposals, 7 contested. 16 kicks, 11 handballs, and then to go along with that, the six marks, eight intercept possessions, five inside 50. So he's really working forward and 389 metres gain, which kind of goes off the back of that. I feel he's had a good six quarter, like his last six quarters of football have been at a high standard. He had a good second half in the showdown after I think he got tagged in the first half against Adelaide, and uh, he turned it up when the game was to be won uh, on Saturday. He's um, starting to get back into some of that form, which we became familiar with last season in particular, winning the best and fairest and making the All-Australian team. So I feel that he's got his decision-making under pressure a bit more down pat in the last few weeks, whereas earlier in the season I criticised him for offloading that pressure onto a teammate who had an opponent, opponent hot on their tail and... Yeah, it's just lacking a bit of decision-making under pressure, which was a surprise to me, and I had a few question marks. And this turn of form has come at a timely, in a timely fashion because in a strong team and we've got our best 22 to 25 players available to select, he would have been one based on his form about a month or so ago who could be facing the chopping block, which is, yeah, pretty harsh considering he is our reigning best and fairest. But... Really impressed with his game, and it just locks up that back six or seven, like I said, using it at 74%, which I'll take, absolutely, with the league average being about 70%. Um, so that's a defence line for me. Moving on to the midfield, uh, I've said it a couple of times already. We started in second gear, and, yeah, our pressure gauge was really low. I, I saw, I think it was on first crack on the weekend. I can't remember which one, but uh, they mentioned, I, I believe they were referring to Geelong because Geelong got jumped and I was definitely looking at the live ladder all throughout Saturday's game. Um, they mentioned how Geelong, in relation to the good teams preparing for finals, sometimes in the last couple of rounds, they can take their foot off a little bit because players are wary of not getting an injury. Uh, just before uh, finals come around and how some players in top teams are susceptible to take their foot off a little bit. Now, I don't want to use that as an excuse. I don't think it is a good excuse. And our last two and a half quarters in particular showed us that we can still play the ball hard and dominate a team without getting any, you know, threatening injuries, season-threatening injuries. So it was a bit disappointing to see that we started so flat, particularly in that first quarter when the pressure gauge was at a differential of about 50 pressure points. We lifted early in the second quarter, I felt, but Carlton was still going with us. It was at that 200 to 200 mark. Uh, So a bit disappointing to see them Start so slowly, a bit unaccountable. Sam Walsh got off the leash. And I mentioned in my preview, if and I had Cripps in my preview as well, that was before he was laid out, that 
we needed to put a clamp on Walsh because they didn't have much more behind that. Kennedy, I believe, had a good game for Carlton and he's relishing a bit more midfield time for them. But at the end of the day, their only A grader was Sam Walsh and we could have done a lot more a lot earlier to quell that and get on top early. Could have been even more of a bloodbath. Uh, So to go on top of the lack of pressure, we still had enough of the ball ourselves in the first quarter and... I just felt that we were being very casual. To go on top of unaccountable football early, we were very casual with our ball movement forward. Just some poor decisions, a bit of Hollywood football, and that didn't change until, yeah, about a third way through the second quarter, and we kicked, uh, Todd Marshall kicked that goal, I think, halfway through. Come half time and moving into the third quarter, I thought we showed a lot more intent with our inside 50s. It, we came to play, we dominated inside 50s, but in the third quarter, I felt we were a bit wasteful with our shots on goal, and that was on the midfielders as well. So, what ended up being a, this is partway through our run of goals, and we built a 41 point lead, I believe it was, at three quarter time. Kicking to that riverbank stand end, we just left a bit on the table, I felt, and that could have been a higher margin if I'm being critical. Um, Missing some pretty straightforward shots and taking some low percentage shots too. Like I said earlier, teams are going to come at us early because we are a pace setter. And Carlton came to play to begin with, but Once we decided to return serve, we just hassled them and hassled them and hassled them. And effectively, it became too much for them. They just crumbled under pressure. They put up the the white flag, if you will, and they just clearly put a cue in a rack at their season. We just showed how professional we are when we turned it on and we hassled them out of a game of football uh, until they rolled over, which is... Great signs going forward. It's really quite scary when you think about it, what we're capable of. And this was a snapshot of what we're capable of, albeit against pretty average opposition. But we got match winners everywhere. And when we bring that hassling, contested game to go along with the polish, oh, the sky's the limit, in my opinion. In the middle, I... Uh, that in, in my preview, sorry, I mentioned that the Lysette and Laddams combination is really working quite effectively. You've got the aggression of Lysette with the midfield and ability of Laddams as well as his goal-kicking nous, albeit he would like to clean that up a little bit. Uh, I felt it was a great opportunity for them to really attack a young Ruckman for Carlton and Sam DeConing. And I guess their performance early, and particularly Scott Lysette, um, before he did his in uh, his knee, I was actually really impressed with Deconing. Deconing, uh, to his credit, kept getting a hand in a lot of contests and putting it to a, a reasonable advantage for his players. Uh, Lysette and Laddams' influence in the ruck early was a byproduct. I mean, it was just to it married perfectly with the midfield's intent on the ball and on the player. Uh, I was quite impressed with Zaconing, to be honest, and I felt that we needed a lift. Obviously, Lysa injured his knee fairly early, and he played through it. 
uh, for quite a while. Uh, but once Lysette, and Lysette didn't back down, he would have got a pump up and he did come back strongly. I just felt really early that De Koning, for his age and his experience, competed quite well and, he, yeah, kept him honest early. So we had to respond. And particularly when Lysette got subbed off and slightly before that, I felt that Laddams really lifted. Pistol Pete showed that he is more than capable on his own and that's a great sign going forward if Lysette were to, for whatever reason, just go out of the match. And I mentioned in a previous pod that a lot of this could be attributed to the fact that Lysette had those four week, four games off and Laddams got a bit of work experience being that sole ruckman because uh, I believe he's very talented. He's multifaceted and has a little bit of ruck X factor to himself. He's not the biggest, stockiest ruckman out there, but he's very tall and he's very agile for his size. So once he got the lone, the lone ranger position, I thought he walked all over to Koning. He ended up with the 23 hitouts himself in as a game as a whole, shared ruck duties. Deconing finished with 23 himself, but he had all ruck duties for Carlton and attended pretty much all of their um, contests, uh, their ball-ups, should I say. So ha- really happy with Pistol Pete. Some key statistics that I usually go through attributed mainly to the midfield are the ones that generally mean we win if we win these Statistics. So contested possession on the night finished at 159 to 120 our way, a 39 plus um, ledger there for us. Clearances 39 to 33. It was in the center that we really dominated. We split clearances around stoppage, but center clearances were 17 to 11. And as we all know, with the 666 model, you're winning centre clearances, you're getting one-on-ones up the field and then you're kicking to the likes of Dixon one-on-one, Georgiatis one-on-one, Marshall one-on-one and Pistol one-on-one when he's resting up forward. To go along with the Smalls who, you know, much like Robbie Gray, he's a very good one-on-one mark. So to win centre clearance by six is amazing. And then the hitouts, we won 42 to 29. So like I said, a, a really great performance by Laddams, uh, taking on the sole ruck duties late, but Lysette also lifted after probably lowering his colours to a much less experienced ruckman early. So my best mid for the night, I could have easily given this to two of our more popular players in uh, Wines and Boak, both having fantastic games, but I've actually given it to Carl Amon. He finished with the 30 disposals, seven of which were contested, 21 kicks, nine handballs, four marks, three tackles. He had 11 score involvements and seven clearances, which is telling, and a game-leading 651 metres gain. I, I noticed that both at the game and uh, re-watching the, ga- uh, the game at home again afterwards that he really played quite a multi-angled midfield role. He was both playing inside and outside, and he... he Swapped throughout those roles throughout the match. I even saw him lining up against Sam Walsh at some centre bounces on the night, which means that he may have been tag-teaming with Willem Drew to tag Sam Walsh. And I believe Sam Walsh had 
like single digit disposals after half time. So we really took him out of the game. He started hot and with Amon just building on that inside game this year, both with his tackling, his clearance work, and his general grunt, because we, we've known for a long time now he's put a body of evidence together to say that he's more than capable as an outside running player and his disposal is exemplary uh, more often than not. So to add that hardened edge, which I feel is really relishing, and he speaks about it when he's interviewed, uh, to see him go one-on-one versus Walsh and hold his flag high in that regard, is really it really impressed me. And then to just give out forwards the best opportunity. Um, a, a small little mocker on him, uh, or knock on him, should I say, was that to, he's getting he was getting a lot of the ball in the third quarter, but he could have used it a little bit better. And he would have known that. He would have been a bit disappointed. There were a few opportunities even in the first quarter. I think he may have got the first clearance of the game. And just kind of blazed away going inside 50. But when it was party time in the last quarter, he just, he was like a chrome ball bearing. He was polished to the max and he turned around those little um, lacking disposals in that fourth quarter and really impressed me. He's, you know, they usually say, and I think Malcolm Blight is a big um, commenter in this regard. They say that, Premiership teams generally win because a lot of their core players have improving seasons. So Amon is definitely one of them. He's His year-on-year year for the last four years, ever since he was uh, exploring trade opportunities, his year-on-year, year, he just keeps getting better and better and better every year. So with the likes of Amon improving, to go along with the likes of uh, a Willem Drew to pick a name out of the hat, um, you know, we've got a lot of play. I mean, you could say Ollie Wines is having an improved year. He's second favorite for the Brownlow. So we've got a nice core group of players, even young players taking a step up this year. And it's good signs going forward for our capabilities of winning a premiership because that's kind of what it takes. A good core team and then a core group of players having improving seasons within that year. So Amon's definitely one of them and one that I'm super impressed with because I, like many people, were I wasn't too critical of him because we knew at the time that he was struggling for a spot with Polek being in the team. And I believe Brad Ebert was playing a wingish role at the time too. There wasn't really a role for Amon. So it was kind of like we'd be happy to keep you, in my opinion, but if you leave, fair enough. Like, I'm not going to lose a whole heap of sleep over it. But I'd be happy to see him stay all the same, especially after we um, we traded Jared Polex. So him coming on and staying that season and building every year from there, building confidence in himself, his own ability, and adding extra edges to his game, I'm just super happy for him and, and hope he continues in this trend line for – many years to come for Port Adelaide. My honourable mention in the midfield, so I slightly mentioned him before, but I couldn't go past Willem Drew. He just keeps impressing me week after week. And you read his, I think he's only had two really big games in terms of disposal, but it's not what necessarily what Willem Drew does with the ball. It's just his demeanour on the field. 
On top of his disposal, it's generally really good. He finished with 16 disposals. 11 of those were contested possessions. So over half in anyone's game is a tick. Four kicks, 12 handballs, going at 81% efficiency to just go on to what I said about him using the ball well. Six tackles, and he had the five clearances as well. So Amon with the seven and, and Drew with five clearances. I believe that he played a big part in turning our fortunes in the second quarter, particularly. You know, a sub-honourable mention, if you will, has to go to Xavier Dersma, who didn't give up trying, didn't give up the fight for the whole first half, and also Travis Boak. Um, but Willem Drew, it, it's like a literal, literal switch flipped in that second quarter. And I, I remember vividly, I was sitting on the eastern wing, and... Uh, it was like Willem slipped into a slipstream and the the waters parted and he just slipped through, got the clearance and got it forward. And I remember it vividly as a kind of turning point in the game. And then his effort from then on was relentless. Uh, I believe the bulk of his clearances were in that second quarter. But to go on the back of that, he didn't let up. All game. He hassled and hassled. It typified earlier when I said about the hassle until they gave up. And Willem Drew is, it typifies that hassling nature. And I was thinking today at work that, so he's accountable for his player. I mentioned he kind of tag teamed with Amon in tagging Sam Walsh, especially after half time. So we know that Willem Drew is a capable, uh, accountable tagging type player. But he's also shown that he can be an accumulator if necessary. So what we might be seeing unfolding in front of us is Willem Drew could probably be a combination of a Kane Corns and a Travis Boak, if you will, if he reaches his true potential, in my opinion. Because he can, he's shown many, many times this year that he can keep his opponent quiet, he can win the ball himself, and he can use it super effectively and just go all day. I'm really impressed with Willem Drew. And I really, really hope, I, and I really expect him to play a big part in our final series coming up. Uh, it's something that defend, uh, opposition wouldn't have, have considered uh, in the first part of the season. But now definitely have to put their homework in on, on Willem Drew. Super happy for him. Okay, so moving on to the forward line. Well, didn't they have a day out, a day to savour, a day to enjoy, a, a fruitful day where it just felt like everything was going for them once we got the game on our terms. Uh, in my pre preview podcast on Friday, I asked for 12 goal kickers and I got it. Um, so when we played Carlton earlier this season, we had nine separate goal kickers. And uh, on Saturday night, we finished with the, the 12 goal kickers. And on a, a dry night of football, so we went with the four-tool method again. And like it, it gets spoken about a lot. And uh, there's feedback on both sides of the coin. But So the last three times we've employed the four-tool four method, if you will, we've gone... So the four tools contributed nine goals uh, on Saturday or, and 10, if you include Scott Lyser into that as a five-tool method. <laughs> um, so nine 
goals from the Fort Halls. Then we had 10 goals from them against GWS and nine against Collingwood. So, I mean, the proof is in the pudding a little bit to say that when we're playing dry football or if we're playing, say, at Marvel Stadium, which, albeit final football isn't played at Marvel Stadium, and why would you? But the point I'm trying to make is our four-tool method is working. So some people keep trying to change it, but I was having a conversation with my dad the other night and I said to him that a lot of these detractors of this four-tool method don't seem to realize that there is a thing called an interchange bench and they're not necessarily on the field all at the one time. And with our versatility edict going into this season, having people around them to rotate, such as the small forwards uh, I'm trying to get at, it means that Charlie Dixon, Todd Marshall, they can play a bit more time, but we've got space on the bench. So I, I don't think people take that into consideration. But at the very heart of it, if we're getting a 9-10 to 10 goal return from our tall forwards on average, I wouldn't be changing that at all. And I've said before, they all offer something both in the air and on the ground to go along with our mosquito fleet of fantastic small forwards. So, oh my gosh, what a headache for opposition. Um, All coming into some great form, all getting around the goals. Yeah, look, it was party time in the second half and particularly in that last quarter, kicking nine goals was amazing. Uh, It's the stuff of dreams. I, um, you know, like, stopping it when they're firing on all cylinders and and you know have we seen our team fire on all cylinders yet was was that the closest that we've got was that for i cuz i still think we might even have another level to go or maybe not another level but we put in a four quarter performance of what we did in the third and fourth quarters in particular that's amazing uh there could be some big scores kicked and some big bags of goals. On the night, you could have been uh, fooled into thinking, well, not fooled, but it would have been okay to think that Dixon was probably having a bit of an off night, particularly in the first half. And let's be honest, he was playing against what many think will be the All-Australian centre-half back or or full-back in Jacob Wiedering, who is a really great player. I really rate Jacob Wiedering. I feel a bit sorry for him being in the Carlton Football Club. Uh, but then it wasn't until Chad Corns was on SENSA on Monday morning saying that they actually used Charlie Dixon as a decoy and he wasn't actually supposed to get around the goals as such, uh, providing a decoy so that the likes of Todd Marshall, Georgiatis, Peter Laddams and everyone else could cash in. And it's just, <laughs> it's just really funny to think about that, you know, a few years ago, four to five years ago, we would have been just, you would have thought that someone was joking to say that we would ever use Charlie Dixon as a decoy. It's it's amazing that we're now in a position where we've absolutely got that card at our disposal. And I take a lot out of the commentary from Jonathan Brown in the telecast 
being a, a high quality A grade forward in his time, he actually sung Charlie Dixon's praises even when he only had one possession up to half time, which was a free kick down the field and, and throughout. So when a, a great of the game in Jonathan Brown is saying that Dixon's having a good game, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that and I don't care what anyone else says. But then in the end, he finished with the four goals. So uh, I love, love Charlie Dixon. I've said before, he's one of my favorite players. He never stops trying and Playing that decoy role, he got reward for it. A bit of good karma came his way in the end. And in the end, he was, uh, it just became a bit too much for Jacob Wiedering. And yeah, once the floodgates opened, uh, yeah, Dixon was getting right on top and, and marking the ball really well late. Um, oh, I've kind of already touched on it, but it's a vital tune-up for playing warm-weather footy. Personally, I think that Port Adelaide's always been a, a warm-weather football side and the criticisms that I've had over the past few years is that when the game has been played uh, with rain or after rain in a dewy scenario, moist scenario, that we haven't really adapted that well in the past uh, because I feel that we are a real, we train and we want to play a dry weather style of football. And yeah, I haven't liked the fact that in wet weather, we've kind of been slow to react sometimes, but the benefit of playing at Marvel Stadium for most of the last six weeks is that we've been able to trial the four-tool method, this dry weather style of football, coming into springtime where finals are more often than not played in dry weather. So we saw it with West Coast in 2018. They were criticised for being a tall team, but it just goes to show that if you're marking it, it doesn't really matter what happens when the ball hits the ground because it's not hitting the ground and you don't have to worry about the opposition running it away from you. So a good good tune-up leading into warm weather, and I don't think we should change the structure up forward. I think it's humming along nicely with them all in there and adding their own little aspects to our structure. Uh, to go along with the four, four tools firing, um, we've also got our small forwards getting some game time into their legs. And in particular, there was a few Robbie moments that you just would not have even picked up on if you weren't looking. And considering that he was only supposed to come back this week, he's now got a couple of games in him. Fantasia's got a couple of games in him. Butters... Rosie coming off the back of those return from injuries. They're all getting time into their legs and just causing hassles everywhere. Hassle seems to be my word of the night. <laughs> but it's really what it's really what got us the game in our favour. And um, I know I definitely wouldn't like to come up against our fleet of small forwards that anyone could hurt you and anyone could be capable of kicking a bag much like the tools are uh just yeah it's really good particularly with Robbie because he's he's faced a bit of adversity in his career let's be honest and he is one of the elder statesmen of our team along with Travis Boak but so there will there there will always be question marks when players hit that 30 age mark plus, you know, people will go, is this the last year? Is this the last year? And 
although Travis Spoke is aging like a fine wine, you know, Robbie Gray, a bit precarious, but Robbie Gray always shows you that Robbie Gray is capable and he was just back to his clean little nimble gives and takes. He finished with the 19 disposals and uh, he probably set up most of his teammates effectively with those 19 disposals. Just he... He sees the game two steps ahead of anyone else and uh, it was good to see him after having a quiet game in the showdown. Obviously, there's some factors to go along with that. Really hitting back and joining in on the party are really happy for all the, all the smalls and, and Robbie in particular. Um, and to go along with that, moving on to my best forward, I actually had Aratio Fantasia. Uh, so Aratio finished the game with 14 disposals, five of which were contested possessions. Seven and seven kicks and handballs, going at 79%, which is fantastic. Three goals. He also had three goal assists, all bundled up in eight score involvements, and actually gained 338 metres for us. So, Aratio was my cold player last week. Probably a bit harsh. It's a bit, it's a bit hard to pick a cold player in such a, a well-performing team. And we're the form team after the bye. I don't care what any of the Victorian media says or, or, or lack of feedback of what they're not saying about Port Adelaide. Uh, when clearly not getting the credit, which is okay, whatever. But um, Aratio Fantasia really impressed me. I criticised the fact that he was trying to get some cheap 50-metre penalties against Adelaide and uh, was just, yeah, he just liked to be here. He's obviously, he's missed a lot of football, so you keep that in mind. But I felt that he had a very all-round game. He didn't give up the fight. I saw him getting clearances. He was in chains of play, having multiple possessions within those chains of play himself and setting up other teammates. The thing that impressed me the most about his game on Saturday was his second and third efforts. Uh, There was a goal, I believe in the last quarter or the second quarter? It was down the northern end where, oh, yeah, it it was in the last quarter. I've just checked my notes again. And he attacked the ball. He he lost it. He went back again. He got it and he gave it out and it ended up being a goal. And uh, that was just one example of many times that he did it on the weekend. To go along with him roaming around the field and setting up play ahead of the ball. It was a really team-first game from Orazio. But then cashed in himself with the three goals, which was great reward for effort. And with him being our leading goal kicker before he went out with that long stint on the sidelines, uh, another damaging aspect to our forward line, which, uh, yeah, I... um. I'm quite glad he's on our side. Let me put it that way. My honourable mention absolutely has to go to Todd Marshall. I don't care what anyone says. He was influential. I forgot to mention those players that kept us in the game in that first half. Todd Marshall was definitely one of those players. Again, his stats aren't lighting up the page. I don't think they ever really will. He'll have breakout games here and there. Uh, but he finished with 12 disposals, five of which were contested, eight kicks, four handballs, three marks. He went at a fantastic 100% disposal efficiency. So when he's getting the ball, 
He's making good decisions, which is something that I've always respected about him and noticed going to the matches. Got reward for effort with the two goals in the first half when we really needed them. And he had nine score involvement. So he had a hand in nine scores on the night. Look, I'll begin this honourable mention with saying that if you have any doubts about Todd Marshall, go and watch the game again, in particular that second quarter, or even better, when we can and when it's more readily available, go to a game and just take it upon yourself to watch what Todd Marshall does both off the ball, but then what he does when he gets the ball. He is a team-first player, typified with Rosie's interview post-match on the Port Adelaide website. Just some of the things he does you can't teach. I've got notes everywhere from watching the game. There was a a, a ball in dispute on centre wing in the second quarter, and instead of taking possession, he's just tapped it behind himself to, I believe, Travis Bokes. uh, Travis Bokes. Oh, the words just slipped me. Um, Advantage. There we go. Behind it and things like that, it won't go down as a stat. You can't teach it, but he just has that uh, presence of mind to put in those little efforts, team-first efforts. Again, in that second quarter too, he got it on the boundary line, uh, top of the 50 in the forward pocket, and just squared it up perfectly to Lysette. He could have easily, or, or other players might have easily enough, blazed away for goal from a tightish angle. But Todd Marshall... His first instinct is, who's in a better position? Who can I set up? Who can I bring into the game? Who's going to benefit from my possession that I hold right now? It's what He just thinks and plays the game in a different way. And personally, I'm happy to have him on our team. I feel that he does add another element. And I don't know how many times can the players, anyone has to say that he's a valuable member of our team for it to sink in with some players, uh, some fans, should I say. But Todd Marshall is going to be one of our most effective players going forward. And I guess it frustrates me even more because we're seeing a Justin Westhoff clone before our very eyes. And it annoys me much the same as I went to all those games at Football Park when Justin Westhoff was young in that 50 to 100 game mark or pre-50 to 100 game mark, applying his trade, learning that hybrid utility tool uh, position and hearing all the relentless criticism from fans who obviously didn't go to the games and watch what Justin did off the ball and the amount of time that he spent on field. We've got a Justin Westhoff clone here with his career kind of maybe heading in the same direction with that all-ground hybrid ability. But yet we see Marshall getting the same criticisms. It's just totally unfair. And you you would have thought that with Justin Westhoff going out a club legend and admired by most of our fans in the end that we would have learnt a thing or two by now. And we would afford Marshall the benefit of the doubt. I certainly do. And now he's hit that 50-game mark. The next 50 to 100 games could be quite telling for his career. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm quite excited to see how his career unfolds from here. Uh, He could be a vital, vital player. And just to finish up on the game at hand against Carlton, he got the two goals early. 
but he did the team thing right up until that final siren, consistently trying to get his team teammates into the game. Um, so happy for Todd Marshall when uh, he he much like the rest of the people I've highlighted could have a big part to play come September. So for usual listeners of the pod, uh, you'll know that I now go into my hot and cold players. But, I mean, after a game with such dominance in the end, and I mentioned at the top of the pod, we didn't have any passengers this game. So I've decided to pick two hot players uh, just to – well, because one that I believe is the true hot player, if I was to have a a hot and a cold specifically – I've picked a, the true hot player is Aaliyah Aaliyah, but I've already divulged plenty uh, about my feelings in regard to Aaliyah Aaliyah. He's primed for finals. He's in red hot form right now and another great test coming up on Friday for him to uh, just build on that beast mode that he seems to find himself in right now. Uh, so he was my first hot player. My second hot player uh, is Zach Butters. He's now put a good few weeks together of really good form, building and building and building and just getting silkier, smooth by the week. He finished with the 25 disposals, eight of which were contested, 11 kicks, 14 handballs, six marks, three tackles, a real hassling game, 84% disposal efficiency, which is something that we sorely missed in the middle part of the year, two direct goal assists, 12 score involvements and four clearances for himself. So yeah, a few weeks and now he's back to his best. Just, we all knew it, like, when we had all these injuries, all coming from the one area of the ground particularly, we really missed his polish, his creativity, his hunger for the contest, just his ability to take on all shapes and sizes too. And the more you watch him, you just realise that his footy IQ is through the roof. I keep referencing some of our young players being the next, insert PAFC legend name here, uh, but, I mean, his footy IQ and his just his mannerisms are very Robbie Gray-like. I, um, I'm sorry to make another comparison, but I'm not really sorry because Robbie Gray is the one who told the club to pick him. So uh, whatever Robbie says goes, really. And he's just on – I mean, he's almost a carbon copy of him. His tenacity at the contest is relenting. And like I said, his disposal, one of his disposals, in particular, the the kick inside 50 that just hit uh, Scott Lysette came across uh, heading towards that northern end. It could have easily ended up in Georgiata's spread basket, but Lysette came across, and to his credit, he, he kicked the goal, but just the presence of mine on Zach Butters is something to be jealous of if you're not a Port Adelaide fan and something that we relish time and time again. Uh, I, I feel that although he's a young player, he does soak up the moment quite well uh, immediately under pressure or uh, perceived pressure or even goal-kicking pressure uh, like in the showdown, kicking the first goal of the match for us. It's a weird trait for such a young player to have, but he just seems so cool. And again, come finals and that finals-type environment, you need to be able to keep your head under pressure and it's something that, I feel Zach Butters is more than capable of and now working into some of the form that he found himself in in the early few rounds of the year before he got injured. So running hot, 
we'll see how he goes from here. To wrap up, my best on ground, I've given it to Amon, like I said, was my best mid. I felt that he contributed the most over the, the four quarters. Number two for me was Ollie Wines. I haven't really touched on Ollie that much, trying to give highlight to a couple of other players, but could could he actually win the Brownlow? I, I'm definitely hoping so. I put 10 bucks on him when he was paying $81. So, I mean, that'd be a great payday for me. But like Ken said in the media, I can't remember Ollie Wines having less than a good game. He hasn't even had an average game up until this point. And we're one game left in the home and away season. Uh, he started the game well early. He just keeps winning on the inside, getting it forward, just doesn't crumble under pressure. He's happy to take multiple bodies on. He's a bull. Yeah, Oli Wines gets my two and one with Aaliyah for his uh, defensive efforts all game. So my final touches. Uh, my first final touch is Travis Boak. I just I wanted to give Travis Boak some love. I haven't really spoken much about Travis and uh, the only thing it, it keeps it keeps doing his thing. I, I guess that's that's the thing with Travis Boak and particularly this year with the rise of Ollie Amon, Zach Butters and the like. It's a great zone for Trav to be in because he can still. I mean, yeah, what did he get? The thirty-one disposals. He led us in, in that regard, equal led us in that regard, but he doesn't have to carry us on his back anymore, and it would be just be so freeing, especially for the position that he's got his body in to keep playing football and having that desire to keep playing football at the highest level. He can just keep doing his thing, and him, I did mention before that he was a group of a few players that did keep us up and about early, and... He, the only thing that lacked for me with Travis Boak and the thing that probably kept him from being in my best players and my best mid was his disposal efficiency. It was a bit disappointing. He um, went at 45%, being our least effective player on the night. And uh, it doesn't happen often like that for Travis Boak. We know that next week he could easily go at 70% plus. So, it's probably disappointing. And he kicked the one goal three. I remember being at the game and just seeing him in and around goals so often and just being like, oh, Trav, just kick it. He deserves it. And it was frustrating. But, yeah, just more disappointing for him. On a day where everyone was joining the party, he uh, he did the tough stuff as we've come to love and expect. But, yeah, just I wanted to give him a bit of love on his own because – historically he's one of my favorite players as i said in my pilot episode of this podcast i've lived my football life more or less alongside travis boak being in the port adelaide team and um i don't want him to go so yeah loved his game just uh would have liked him to clean up his disposal a bit more the next point i wanted to make was sam mays and isn't he loving the med sub probably not loving it he'd probably prefer to to start matches and play full matches but what a perfect med sub should I, I probably should have said. Coming on, he tends to be kicking goals when he's coming on as the med sub. And with a game of uh, a player with over 100 games experience, like himself, super professional, uh, a senior player around the group, he can just impact straight away and have the presence of mind to lead on the field as well 
obviously being one of the bigger leaders for our Magpies team. So uh, have someone come off and for him to come on, it's the perfect med side. But there's also, there's also, I think it's something that Rucci talks about in the media occasionally is that in American sport, you get, Generally, you every player on a roster gets uh, a championship ring, if you will, and uh, whether you play in that final game or not. And Rucci brings up this argument. Uh, I'm not sure if he's for it. I think I believe he's for it. That's why he keeps bringing it up. And I've I'm a bit of a traditionalist with the premiership medals should only go to the team that plays. But if we're throwing out a gross hypothetical right now and st- Say Port Adelaide does win the premiership, a player like Sam Mays, who may well find himself being the med sub in that hypothetical team, but a player like Sam Mays, on the like, put a good case forward for teams, squads, lists, rosters to all get a premiership medal, especially after this year for us. You know, players like Martin Frederick, Boyd Woodcock, Kane Farrell earlier this season, Sam Mays, you know, your Jared Leanett, all doing their best. Hamish Hartlett, they have all contributed at vital times in this season for us this year. And hypothetically, if we were to go all the way, you could not argue that they wouldn't deserve a premiership medal in their own right. I think back to that St. Kilda game when we were missing basically our whole small forward line. And we just had to get the win with the roster that we had at the time. So Sam Mays just kind of tip, typified it for me um, on Saturday, coming on as a med sub, and just really made me think that if they were ever to change that rule and say we won the premiership this year in particular, our season is a good case study for that reasoning um, for everyone to get a medal uh, contributing to a successful year. Uh, the next final touch is Miles Bergman. Uh, he was my hot player uh, last week, I believe, or the week before. Uh, he obviously got the Rising Star nomination last week, and I loved his game. He featured all throughout. He kicked the two goals, and he just seems so comfortable at the level. Now, I say comfortable. I guess the only knock I have on him is that he has got a lot of the ball over the last two weeks. However, he's only used the ball at 50% disposal efficiency. He did seem to be double-grabbing it a lot in that first quarter when it was really hot, a really hot footy. Uh, And it may be the only thing that could separate him in such a strong squad that we've got at the moment. With Motlop being on the sidelines and uh, Sam Pepper as well, There'll be fine lines come selection committee. And although Miles Bergman has put in a really exemplary year in his debut season this year, and I've been super impressed with him. He deserved his Rising Star nomination. He deserves to be in the team. And, heck, he could even be a med sub uh, if it was to come to it. But I'm just looking forward. And and Stephen Motlop, although he has his detractors, he is our most finals experienced player, having all that experience with Geelong before coming over to Port Adelaide. I just feel that that disposal efficiency may be one thing that could find Miles Bergman out of the team come that pointy, pointy end 
when the whips are cracking. So it's a it's a wait and see. It's a watch for me. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't drop him like a hot potato or anything like that. I'm still impressed with him. He's getting involved. He's getting he's impacting forward, kicking goals. He's impacting down back. We all know that he can take a good overhead mark. So it, it's a watch. It's a watch for me. Next, moving on to my best bet from my preview podcast. So we were going for the three out of three. Uh, we went for Houston with the 20 plus. He cleared it easy. Um, and just on Houston, what a clean user of the ball. I probably, much like Travis spoke, I haven't been able to talk about him nearly enough over the last uh, few weeks. He just keeps going about his business and uh, putting it on a dime. Uh, I'm glad that he's back, confident in his body and using the ball super effectively. Another vital cog and another young player in our team. It just, it's amazing. Our list management group uh, have performed fantastically well over the last five years. And yeah, so I digress. Houston cleared the 20 possessions uh, to make our best bets go three from three. So I look forward to looking at one for the Western Bulldogs game and uh, getting that out. So hopefully we can win some money. Um, So looking forward to the Bulldogs, I feel that we're getting them at the right time of the year, Uh, playing them at our uh, dubbed home away from home at Marvel Stadium. Uh, Although they're playing for for a a top four spot, it's going to be a bit do or die for them, but they've faltered a little bit over the last few weeks. And as well as that is they're a weaker side and we're a stronger side compared to the matchup that we had earlier in the season Adelaide Oval. So we're coming into it with great confidence. To be honest, look, I hope we win. I hope we get top two. Two finals straight off the bat is gonna will be a great result, particularly when you take into the fact that we're getting no credit and we haven't got any credit all this year, but having 15 in-season surgeries and having to just grind our way through the season to get ourselves in this fantastic position that we're in right now. I prefer us to win. However, with Bulldogs, there's so much to play for. If we were to lose and finish fourth, I'm not too concerned because something that we've been known to be over the last few, uh, last two years now is a team that responds after a loss. So we're on a streak of five games in a row now with this current win. If we need a circuit breaker to just smack us in the face, yeah, it'll continue that theme of, oh, we can't beat top four sides or whatever like that. It doesn't really concern me because I know that all you need to do after that loss is win three in a row. Uh, and we're we're a good away performing team. So um, I'm tipping Port going forward. Um, but, yeah, I don't really mind. Um anywhere, anytime, as Ken says in the media. But look, I don't know if I'm going to be able to put out a preview podcast this week. Obviously, with the game being on Friday and as well as that, I do study part-time on Tuesday and Thursday nights. Um, I'm actually recording this after I've come home from study tonight. So I'm going to try and obviously get our fourth best bet out to try and win everyone a bit more money. And just give a wrap-up, I may record it um, tomorrow night and release it on Thursday or Friday, or I may just do a quick written wrap-up on my Facebook page. So just stay posted for that. Um, 
we'll see how we go. I'll try and get something out. I obviously want to be consistent with this type of thing. And on that regard, uh, if thanks for listening. If you haven't liked me on Facebook, I'd appreciate you go over there and, and click like and just follow the various bits and pieces that I do put out uh, every couple of days, two or three days during the week. If you're listening to me on any of the main podcast providers, I'd really appreciate a rate and review. It would help me get up there in front of everyone's eyeballs. And uh, if you have any friends that enjoy Port Adelaide content, word of mouth is a really great effective tool. So I'd appreciate you yeah, spreading the word, letting, letting everyone know about little old me uh, and bringing my content to their ears too. So like I said, I'll try and get something out this week. Uh, but if I don't, at the least, I'll post a best bet and a quick wrap up on my Facebook page. So that's all for me. Have a great rest of the week and bye for now.